Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When I can put that frame out there, it can help someone be more accepting and compassionate toward their own or their partners and their partner's experience both. This is obviously not a one and done thing, right? This is, we're doing this a lot over time because ultimately the goal is to help you form new wiring that this is a safe experience with your partner. Oftentimes what ends up happening is if I'm activated and I'm suddenly in that place of fear, even if I know it, part of what I might be doing is telling you what to do differently, right? Like, don't talk to me that way. Don't use that tone of voice. Don't, don't look at me with those eyes. Don't sit like that because that's the only strategy that we can think of then those strategies don't work. And it's incredibly frustrating to both partners. So we help people, help couples organize, oh, this is what's going on. Of course, that's frustrating for you. This is what's happening on the inside. It's getting all disorganized. And together, when they begin to organize it, they create safety. They create a new experience together. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. So, hey, everybody, it is my absolute pleasure to bring you Camille Scent. One of the things we're going to be talking about today is some of the different models of therapy and attachment. It's like, okay, so what? I'm beginning to learn this. I can identify it, but what do I do with it? So we are going to be talking to that particular question, I think. So can you just introduce yourself a little bit and tell us how you came to have these new and interesting ideas about how to use attachment theory and how to heal people? Sure. Although I definitely want to emphasize that they're not my unique ideas. I stumbled into emotionally focused therapy developed by Sue Johnson Right. As a Canadian psychologist. Well, and the new thing you're doing is kind of bringing these things together. So you're absolutely right. You have new ideas about how to use these things. Yeah. We all sort of bow down in gratitude for Sue Johnson's insights into how to work effectively with couples and with what she was seeing and discovering the connection between attachment theory and relational dynamics. And if anybody out there knows Sue Johnson, we've tried to reach out to her to have her hand her the mic on the show. So uh, if anybody has any connections, just hook us up. Okay. So those connections, I discovered Deb Dana through your podcast. So I had already been introduced to polyvagal theory, but she really makes it much more accessible And then the connections between that and what we do in EFT started seeming really clear to me. The the light bulbs. (laughs) Yes, light bulbs went off. So that's a piece of sort of how we, you and I came to connect around that. You're also just as an aside, Camille very early on came on as a supporter of the show and as a patron. And we are so grateful. And she's just been with the steady support. It's really helped us be able to focus on the content and not, you know, some of these other things and to keep ads off the show. So thank you from our bottom of our heart for your support. 
Well, you're more than welcome. I was delighted to find your podcast because oftentimes, as we'll talk about later, we don't teach attachment theory, but it so informs everything we do as emotionally focused therapists. So your podcast has some lovely ways that are very consistent with how we understand attachment theory, that it makes it very accessible for people who are interested. And so I started referring to your podcast and thought, well, I'm making use of you. I should support you. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Thank you. So I discovered EFT kind of in two ways at the same time. I was a licensed professional counselor, but taking some additional coursework to be a marriage and family therapist because systemic work is really my home base and always has been and learned about EFT. And then my husband and I did some emotionally focused therapy, couples therapy together. Mm, Juicy. And uh, yeah, (laughs) it was powerful and amazing. And I sort of stumbled into this is what I definitely want to be doing because it was so powerful and so unique. And I've actually never worked with couples in any other way because it just really is wonderful. So then I continued to learn and study and on the board for the Atlanta Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy here in Georgia where I live and um, have a practice that's pretty much all dedicated to EFT with mostly couples and families. Oh, this is so fantastic. I'm so, so happy for you to be able to teach us about this. And one of the things I heard in what you just said is like, if it helps us, then we're walking the walk about then sharing it. And that's exactly kind of some of the stuff that we talk about. Same thing. It's like walking the walk. It's like, this is actually useful, at least in this case, like you're a believer because it actually helped you and helped your marriage. Right. So shall we talk about EFT and how EFT came to be in Sue Johnson and her story? Sure. I love her story. It's for me, it's part of what makes another piece of what makes emotionally focused therapy so compelling. So as a graduate student, in a doctoral program, I think in Vancouver, she ended up in a position where she was working with a lot of couples. And as she started doing all of these sessions with couples, they were challenging. Couples are coming in in distress, arguing. And she started getting curious about what was really going on, the couples that got better, the ones that didn't. And she sort of came up with what was at the time a little radical, of emotion being the key. And this is part of what I love about this. The way she did that is she recorded her work and then watched the tapes over and over and over and over again to analyze precisely what she was doing, what was happening, and how the couples shifted, and identifying what was the difference between the couples who got better and the couples who didn't. She did an outcome study, a psychotherapy outcome study for her doctoral dissertation, which is a pretty amazing thing in and of itself, and ended up discovering that the sharing of vulnerable emotions in a couple relationship in a safe setting were what made the difference between the couples who got better and the couples who didn't. And attachment theory began to explain why that was so radically important in a healthy, bonded, secure relationship they are redefining their relationship as a secure attachment bond. And so that process, she began to hone how the steps for what needed to happen for the partners, what the therapist needed to do to facilitate this happening, and developed the theory behind the model and then began teaching it to other people. And there's now thousands of people, I think there's 70 trainers across the globe, maybe more at this point, who are teaching the model to other therapists. So emotionally focused therapy, you may have heard of EFT. Yes. We use so many acronyms. But what about IFS? Like, what's the difference? It's three letters, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So internal family systems therapy is IFS. 
And it's actually really different. It's primarily developed as a individual model of therapy and by Dick Schwartz. I don't remember if you've interviewed Dick Schwartz or Again, not. have tried. Anybody who knows him, we would love to share the mic. <laughs> Frank Anderson is also really great as trainer. And so I've done some training in IFS. I suppose you could think of internal family systems therapy, IFS, as facilitating an internal sense of attachment to self. Forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, Dick Schwartz, but I think that's how he would maybe think of it, that it's a relationship of self to parts and creating a secure and healthy bond and healing the parts of self that are what he would call exiles that have been wounded from childhood traumas and lack of healthy attachment experiences. So then EFT is different in what way? So that's a really good question. It's very different. (laughs) For one thing, it was developed as a model of couple therapy. So it really came out of the actual relational experience between partners And we are healing the connection between partners. So healthy attachment, as you know, and as the show does such a good job of helping other people understand, our healthy attachment experiences growing up help us feel secure in ourselves. It expands our capacity to go out in the world and take risks and feel okay about us. And that's a relational experience that then helps us as individuals, And so when that happens, I think of it as if we have that in childhood, then that internalized model of self and model of other is healthy. My model of self is I'm worthy of love, I'm capable, I'm confident. My model of other is you care about me, you want to be there for me, and you're available to be there for me. So if I don't have those experiences in my childhood growing up, which research shows at least 40% of us, I think, don't. More than that even, yeah. That's what I think, but... It depends on what research and Western, non-Western, what country. But yes, a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people. Of people. <laughs> and even, even people that have secure functioning and that have a secure attachment, you know what I mean? There's still pain and there's still definitely difficulties related to co-regulation and being close and things like that. It's just, it's a lot easier, but... <laughs> right, Exactly. And co-regulation is how that security develops, right? Like that's the name of the game. So if you don't have that, then there's sort of limited numbers of ways of responding to that in its absence. And uh, Ed Tronic's video does a really beautiful job of demonstrating this. Um, in fact, there's a video that Ed Tronic and Sue Johnson did together that bridges the gap between how it shows up in the infant experiments that he was doing, infant studies, and then how it shows up in adult attachment relationships. I love this phrase. Sue's fond of saying the number one question in any attachment relationship is, are you there for me? Are you available? Can I get to you? Are you responsive? Do you come when I call? And are you emotionally engaged? Can I feel you with me? Are you engaged with me? And we sometimes also think of that as, are you available? And am I available? Right? It's a two-way dialogue. So if the answer to that question isn't sort of a resounding yes, whether in infancy or in adulthood, there's a limited number of ways that we respond. And the first way, as Edtronic's video demonstrates really clearly, is to sort of try again. Like, hey, are you there? But if the answer really isn't no, they're not responding or they don't seem available, then we up the ante, right? And this sort of is going to parallel what we'll talk about later relating to polyvagal theory. So the natural response is to up the ante. And then if that doesn't 
work, then the shutdown kind of begins. And in a moment, we might throw in the towel as the baby tries to get away from that distress. It's highly distressing to feel your attachment person not be there for you in a moment of need. And of course, for children, their moments of need are nearly constant, right? Especially for infants. So those responses end up becoming what the attachment researchers label and identify John Bowlby and Mary Main, uh, Mary Ainsworth through their research as the secure, anxious, avoidant, and then disorganized. And in adults, in our work with couples, we understand those responses to be sort of a default that comes into play. What you talk about on your podcast as that spectrum blue, some people lean blue, some people lean red, in response to the feeling of somebody who's important to you not being there, that felt sense of, are you there? And there's a question mark. I'm not sure. (laughs) Are you here for me? And the response gets defined by our nervous system, sort of our subconscious nervous system taking over for us in the moment when some cue trips us up that, oh, no, you might not be there in the way that I need you to be there. I think about the sunglasses on our spectrum, you know, that as you go further out, as you're more activated, whether that be dropping down and deactivating or whether it be into the hyperactivation, that it affects our perception. And so it unfortunately can become a self-fulfilling prophecy that if my internal world is nobody's going to be there for me, you're going to leave anyway, what's the point? Well, guess what (laughs) happens? And so it sounds like that that tracks that really well. And part of what you're saying is that fortunately, there's not a ton of responses. We either go towards or we go away in some ways. We go up or we go down. And so it sounds like kind of this focus on emotion and emotion regulation, I think, is where you're going. And I'm excited to hear your take, too, of PVT, a polyvagal theory, and how that that overlaps. But yeah, just kind of walk us through a little bit more about like what happens then. So the deactivating and hyperactivating pull partners into responding to each other in ways that perpetuate those responses. It's very interactive and it's completely unintentional. So when you have a couple who comes in and they're caught in this pattern of arguing, an arguing cycle that seems to happen. So Sue Johnson's first book for sort of the general public was called Hold Me Tight. And it does a really good job of talking about this. And she presents these three dances, which are three patterns that people typically get caught in. And so the first one is the protest polka. So something happens and there's a moment of disconnection. Classic example today, especially, you know, I texted you and you didn't respond to me. And I needed something, you know, like you weren't there. I I called, you weren't there, you know. Your office said you'd left, although I guess that doesn't apply today so much. (laughs) (laughs) No, but totally. It's like that it becomes a thread. And when I can't feel the tug on the other side of that thread, it's activating. It's activating, right. And the person who, whatever was going on for them, they see their phone. Oh, no, I've missed three texts and two phone calls from my person. And now their heart sinks And they immediately go into a deactivating, like this is part of that protest, right? So when they come in and they're processing this moment, this is a typical thing that happens for us. I'm going to be very stereotypical here right now. And I just want to be clear that this is not gender specific in any way, because most of our research is on heterosexual couples or has been, although that's changing. Thank goodness. Women are most often, we don't know why in a position of being what we call a pursuer, so becoming activated. Men are most often in a position of 
deactivation or becoming a withdrawer in this cycle. But I've had plenty of couples where that pattern is reversed, plenty of couples where both people deactivate, fewer couples where both people activate. Those usually don't last, very difficult to sustain. So anyway, they come in and she's upset. You didn't respond to me. If you really cared about me, you would respond to me. I'm like all these things that get sort of thrown out there and she's upset about it. And he's defending. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I don't understand why you're so upset. It just took me an extra hour to respond to you. Like, come on, this isn't a big deal, which is only increasing her activation. And in EFT, we don't try to convince anybody of anything. We sort of slow that moment down and then get underneath what's happening for each of you in this process. So, wow, I'm guessing this is a pretty familiar place for you two to find yourselves. And they usually both have a very pained look on their faces as they nod, yes, this is really familiar. And I can see that this is a really painful place for the two of you to be. So I just want to slow this down and really kind of understand what's going on in the inside of you as this moment unfolds. And you can start with either person. It just depends upon what the moment is. So if we start with the person who was becoming activated, so I'll ask questions about, well, this was a moment that was really difficult for you. Yeah, it was. He wasn't there. I called him. And he does this all the time, right? Yeah, that's a really hard moment for you. Of course, it's a hard moment for me. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I'm guessing, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's really hard because this guy's really special to you. He's a really important person to you. Well, yeah, of course it is. Right, right. So what happens when on the inside for you? What happens in that moment when he doesn't pick up the phone? Oh, it's like a gut punch. I just suddenly feel so alone. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Suddenly so alone. So here's that attachment thread. Now, I don't tell this to my clients, but that's exactly what we're listening for. And it's always there. Here's this attachment thread. Not being able to reach you drops me into this terrible sense. I'm alone and I'm afraid. And when we can help someone walk around in that experience and soften their vulnerability then they're able to connect yeah when I'm feeling scared and alone and even though I know you love me and I know that we're together there's just this fear in the pit of my stomach that gets activated in these moments I can't get to you and then I just lose my stuff and then I start texting you I know that that's silly but I just start texting you constantly because I have to talk to you because it's a really scary moment for me When that can get shared in a vulnerable way, the partner's experience is almost always completely different. Like, wow, to the person who might be defensive. I'm guessing hearing this part of your partner's experience in this way is a really different experience for you. This probably sounds really different than all those text messages she sent. Where are you? What are you doing? Exclamation mark. Yeah, it is really different. Right. I'm so glad you can see that it's different. Can you help me with... What's it like to hear this difference? And then they can explore that different experience in the moment of, oh, well, I I feel bad for her. I don't want her to feel lost and alone. Of course, I'm there for her. That's why I keep telling her I'm there. Right, right. Of course, you want to reassure her. But it's really different to hear this part. Can you help her understand what's so valuable for you about hearing this part? And then we are on a completely different track from 
trying to explain anything to helping them make sense of, oh, we get caught in this loop of responding when we're at that level of what some people would call reactivity, right? But what we might say is the secondary emotions, the anger, the fear, the defensiveness that push each other away unintentionally. And when we can have enough safety to share our vulnerable feelings, we can feel more connected because this person who is getting defensive and trying to rationalize away in the cycle when it's happening is liable to be feeling when we unpack their emotions, something more along the lines of, I blew it again. I let you down. I'm not the guy you want. Like, you know, like I, I hate that I disappoint you in this way. It just feels really, really sucky to feel like this. And that's something that's really difficult to share. So does that help paint a little picture of what we do that's different? Absolutely. It's beautiful. You kind of step around the defense. You don't go with the content, but you're really looking for an experience of joining. Like I felt the shift in me as you shifted into her. I was imagining him. And again, I agree with you about the gender stuff, both that it's not just heterosexual couples, but also, you know, gender is not a dichotomy. And however you identify in gender, so we definitely do not want to kind of oversimplify this. But I think in this particular example, it's just a couple, heterosexual couple. And what I was imagining with him, and I was wanting to hear how you would do it, is like, say he doesn't soften. Because that example was great, but they also sound like they were pretty good, you know? But like, this is years later, and it's crusty or whatever. And he's still eye rolling and saying, you know, you don't trust me, I told you I would be wherever. And you just need to trust me, you need to trust what I say. I'm thinking of just kind of those kinds of responses where that their identity is threatened, based on her anxiety, let's say. Interesting that you put it in that phrase. We wouldn't necessarily think of it as an identity being threatened. Although I think probably that phrase speaks to the same phenomenon. We would just use a different way of conceptualizing it. Which is, what? how would that sound? Well, we have a term for exactly what you're describing, which is catching a bullet. So when someone gets vulnerable and shares their vulnerable emotions and their partner isn't yet able to receive it and respond in a reciprocal way, then we interrupt the process. So we don't want to let that just go off. And we'll say, okay, this is a really, a lot's happening here for you. So this is a really difficult moment. We turn back to the person who was vulnerable and offer them some validation for their vulnerability. You did a great thing here, you know, in sharing. And it's clear that this is a moment that gets really complicated for both of you right now. So let's talk about what it is that's going on for you as you're hearing her share this emotion. It's a little different from being attacked, right? She's not attacking you right now. And sometimes they can't even see that. They still feel attacked, even with the vulnerability. It's like, wow, you still feel attacked by her. Okay. So I'm glad you're telling me that. Can we explore that together? I'm really curious about what's going on on the inside. Well, you know, she just never trusts me. I feel like I'm never good enough. I can never get it right for her. What an incredibly discouraging, disheartening experience to feel like you can never get it right for your partner. Well, yeah, it's terrible. I, I work all day long. I do nothing but serve her and our family. And I don't understand why she just doesn't trust me. Right. That's a really hard experience to not be able to feel trusted. Yeah. Walk me around in that. Can you, what, what really happens? Like, what do you notice happening right now on the inside? Even as you're talking to me about that, what do you mean? 
and what's happening on the inside? Because it's usually a new question for people, right? Well, what do you notice in your body? It looks to me like maybe you're breathing a little shallower and I see tension in your face. Oh, yeah, I am feeling really tense and my heart's beating faster. This is an intense kind of a moment for you, isn't it? Well, yeah, it just doesn't feel good to have that sense that your partner can't lean into you and trust you yet or doesn't lean into you right now. Well, yeah, it does feel bad. Right. So do you think you might be able to talk to her about that part of your experience? Could you help her understand that it just feels bad? So I can feel as you're doing this with your tone of voice, your pace is very powerful. And it feels like a stair steps. This was my experience of you, uh, of what was happening of like stair steps, kind of a de-escalation that you're containing and leading, in this case, him into kind of a slower, more open process. I almost had an image, it wasn't exactly this, but like of sort of holding his hand and like just one step, not pushing him, but you know what you're doing and just follow my voice. (laughs) So you're co-regulating him and getting him to feel safer, which is really lovely. And again, it's not, I hear you, that it's not psychoeducation at all. You're just going right for the affect. Yes, exactly. And we're helping clients organize their affective experience, their emotional experience. We help clients organize their own internal emotional experience and help them organize how their experience bumps into each other and activates each other. That's sort of the name of the game. And I love how you reflected on, you know, everything that you said about what's going on in that moment is spot on. Well, I could really feel it. And I could feel how effective it would be for me when I'm in that state, in both states. So, you know, I can be all over the map. But that kind of might be a lead in into polyvagal, because you were in a sense, actively using those systems. Right, exactly. And so interestingly enough, in emotionally focused therapy, when we learn EFT, we learn a lot about attachment theory so that we can understand this drama that plays out between couples over a missed text, which, you know, from a 50,000 foot standpoint can seem trivial, but in the midst of this emotional attachment bond, it doesn't feel trivial in the slightest to either person in this drama. So we learn about attachment theory to help us understand what makes these dramas so compelling. And it helps us help the couples organize what's going on. We can see, oh, yeah, clearly this is about, are you there for me? Not having an absolute yes answer and can help couples discover what's going on, organize their emotional experience, and then share it with each other from a more vulnerable space. So EFT was developed before Stephen Porges published his book about polyvagal theory. For those of you that are listening and are unfamiliar with polyvagal theory, we won't necessarily go into detail of that right here, but we have you covered because we have several episodes on it, including from the founder himself, Steve Porges. We have Steve Porges' wife, uh, Sue Carter, who studies oxytocin. And then we have Deb Dana, of course. All of those episodes, you can use the search bar and you can look those up and it'll be a really great depth primer on what we're meaning with polyvagal theory. But the short version of it is it's, it's how our body responds to threat. The more that we know about this, the more we can tame our nervous nervous system. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. 
And Stephen Porges has said that polyvagal theory is the precursor to attachment. So our nervous system is always seeking to be in that place of safety, what Stephen Porges would define as ventral vagal regulation. And so it's that place where, you know, we feel like, hey, the world is good enough, I'm okay, things are safe enough, it's fine. And in that place is where our secure attachment experiences can happen. Like you were alluding to earlier, when we are not feeling that safe, secure place, our nervous system is activated. So that's what's going on. That's the biology that's going on in these moments of activation and dysregulation when couples are caught in the cycle. And all the research validates that these are such compelling physiological states that mere cognitive thought really has trouble overriding them. When your nervous system falls into a state of activation, sympathetic activation or dorsal vagal shutdown because of a lack of safety, lack of a sense of being safe enough, or what Stephen Porges calls neuroception. And we can talk more about what all those terms mean because they are specific to his theory. When we slip into that place and our body is out, it also changes the meaning that our mind is making, our brain is making about what's happening. And it makes it less likely that we'll hear cues of safety and more likely that we'll hear and detect cues of danger, even from a neutral stimuli. That reminds me earlier, you mentioned the bullet, catching the Mm. bullet. It's reminding me of something here. So if in my state of activation, and to go back to that example about the texting, if I have just sent to you, like, I'm so scared and alone, I just feel really alone and lost when I don't get a response from you, and you come back to me with, oh, what do you mean I'm not trustworthy? What? Like, that's crazy. Of course I'm trustworthy. I've never betrayed you ever. Then that can land on my vulnerability, like, hard, right? Like, that makes me feel not safe with you, and it can shut me down. So we want to catch that bullet before it lands on the vulnerability so that your sense of feeling safe, my sense of feeling safe in that moment, can still be maintained, right? And then the person who comes from that place is also not feeling safe. And this is sometimes what couples have such a difficult time understanding. That person doesn't feel safe yet. Even with you becoming vulnerable to your partner, your partner still needs additional support for that safety in their nervous system to kick in and for them to feel safe enough to let in your vulnerable reach. And it's very easy as a therapist when you see something like that. Somebody's opening up, you're cheering for them, and then the other person kind of punches. So then it's very easy to turn that into a dynamic where that now there's two against one. (laughs) And we're both convincing you of what the thing you did, you know. So can you give just a quick example of how you would catch the bullet? Are you talking about the client would recognize this as an incoming threat and stop it? You as therapist. It's us as therapists. Yes, yes. Yeah, us as therapists. It's, it's not something that we would ever say to clients. I might say, so, you know, if somebody says something that's clearly hurtful in the moment, like, you know, if she reaches and says, I'm just feeling so scared, and he turns back and says, what are you, a child? I might go, ouch. <laughs> you know, like, I might be in that moment, like, oh, ow, okay, so I know you don't want to hurt your wife. And I hear that that was probably a very difficult, painful thing for you to hear. So let's look at what's going on here. Because I know full well you don't want to hurt her. Yeah, that's great. 
So it's really about how we as therapists organize the moment for ourselves in what's happening. And so catching up that phrase for saving people when they've exposed themselves and their vulnerability and don't get a vulnerable reach back. And what I hear in, in, in the model is he's not an assassin when he throws uh, the no. bullet. He <laughs> is not in this cooperative social engagement place. So in some ways it was like too quick or too fast or something that he hasn't had his time to come down. Right, exactly. Uh, and so it's not bad him. You know, that's, you know, that's the whole, uh, it's not me, it's my not amygdala. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, very non-Jim. He's still feeling under attack. So none of us are going to expose our underbelly when we're feeling under attack. That would be like a non-survival strategy, right? <laughs> so we have to be safe enough to expose our vulnerable sides and fears. And sometimes, like you said earlier, sometimes part of what it takes to feel safe with each other depends on how long the cycle has had to sort of entrench itself as a pattern between people. There's research, this is some of the saddest research I know, the research about couples coming in for counseling for help is that they are usually existing in a state of distress for an average of seven years before they seek help. I mean, seven years for this kind of a negative pattern to just run rampant between people, that's a lot of time. I've heard of very similar data and we wait too long. We basically wait too long. And with the saying, neurons that fire together, wire together, that's seven years of associating your partner as the one throwing the bullets or the one throwing the punches. So we really don't want to groove that neural groove and have that experience. So if you're listening, intervening early is the best scenario. If you're thinking of getting married, you know, it's like when you're doing well is the best time. Going to couples therapy isn't about fixing something broken. It's kind of like going to the gym. It's about getting stronger and improving and finding muscles you never knew you had and, you know, getting healthier overall. Right, exactly. So you were talking about the polyvagal overlay here? Is there something kind of unique with EFT and polyvagal? Well, the overlap is, to me, feels pretty perfect because in understanding what's happening physiologically, as well as from an attachment, it's like the reason why these things matter to us and are so compelling is because of the physiology that gets activated. And so we don't teach attachment theory. I don't teach polyvagal theory, except in little drips where it can be helpful. Sometimes we need what I call little drips of psychoeducation to help us make sense of our experience. This is often true when some, either or both partner has experienced trauma. So understanding that there are definitely things that happen to you when you have experienced trauma in your life, whether a recent trauma as an adult or especially complex trauma from childhood, child abuse, somebody not being there for you, but especially somebody who was supposed to be safe and supportive that was also dangerous in some way. That has some very unique after effects. And people can feel crazy when they don't understand that. And lots of your shows have helped people make sense of that. And polyvagal theory is a, another tool to help people make sense of what's going on when I'm having this response, because it feels so out of control. So when I'm having a response of feeling terrified in the moment of my partner and kind of on fire, I mean, I've had clients tell me very plaintively, I just can't help myself. In that moment, he's the devil and I just go on the attack. And in the moment, I don't even realize that any part of me isn't in this. I'm just so overwhelmed by it. And that can be really scary. 
to someone. And while individual therapy is a wonderful resource that can help with that, you know, in the midst of couples therapy, it's also important to help that person help both partners understand what's going on. And polyvagal theory is a wonderful resource of, hey, this is your nervous system doing this, right? In this moment, there's a cue not intended to activate you, but it activates this physiological response in your body. Something about this moment is so powerful, it reminds your brain of a previous experience where you were in danger. And so when I can put that frame out there, it can help someone be more accepting and compassionate toward their own or their partners and their partner's experience both. This is obviously not a one and done thing, right? This is, we're doing this a lot over time because ultimately the goal is to help you form new wiring that this is a safe experience with your partner. Oftentimes what ends up happening is if I'm activated and I'm suddenly in that place of fear, even if I know it, part of what I might be doing is telling you what to do differently, right? Like, don't talk to me that way. Don't use that tone of voice. Don't, don't look at me with those eyes. Don't sit like that because that's the only strategy that we can think of. Then those strategies don't work and it's incredibly frustrating to both partners. So we help people, help couples organize, oh, uh, this is what's going on. Of course, that's frustrating for you. This is what's happening on the inside. It's getting all disorganized. And together, when they begin to organize it, they create safety. They create a new experience together. And that's the way things begin to change is through this emotional felt physiological sense of safety in polyvagal terms, helping people have a foot in a ventral vagal emotional regulation place of safety, the experience of safety with each other. And when they begin to do that, then the cycle has less grip. They open up more possibilities. So in the instance when the cue comes in, there's a space in me now, once I've had an experience of safety with you to go, okay, you're not trying to do this for me. I can distinguish between this pattern that's about to drown me and this present moment that I'm here with you. And this is different. And even if I'm about to go get drowned, I can at least tell you I'm going under. (laughs) And that's a huge, huge difference. It's just hugely different. And I believe, it's part of the reason why I love being a couples therapist, I just don't believe any of us are equipped to do that alone. I think it takes a third party who can help you not just understand what's going on, but help create that safe space within which to have a different experience of each other. It's a good example of you're treating the relationship, creating secure functioning relationship. That's really great. And earlier you had said with EFT that there were three terms. Oh, three dances. So the protest polka is the one that's the most common one. And I am probably not going to remember because I don't use these terms that often. I'm not going to remember the other terms that she uses in her book, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit. But Sorry, I didn't mean to grab you on that one. (laughs) So protest polka is sort of one person pursuing, one person withdrawing. And then what I call just the complete dance of disconnection is when both people withdraw. This is usually common among people who might consider themselves or other people might characterize as very conflict avoidant. So the very idea of having a conflict with each other is activating. And then their response to that activation is shutting down. 
And so those partners are very scared in the moment, right? And that can be a frightening thing. It's also possible for a person who's been pursuing for quite a while and they're not getting response from their partner. Like once that pattern gets really entrenched, that pursuing partner can then start withdrawing too and just stop trying. And if that's happened, if you've found yourself shifting from, I'm trying to get you to respond to me and now I've just given up, definitely go get help because that's a pattern that can lead to a dissolution of a relationship. And then the last pattern is when both people pursue and sort of get in there and lock horns. It's very intense. They're both kind of attacking. Say again? Passionate. (laughs) Passionate. Yes, very passionate. And at times it can feel that way. But when there's insecurity in there, that can be a very volatile. Yeah, because nobody's regulating. There's not an opportunity for safety, for emotional, physiological safety to be felt. Contrast that to I'm in an emotionally safe, secure relationship. Our attachment bond is safe and secure. We can pretty dramatically disagree about something. Like that would look terrible in the backyard. I don't want that back there. And, you know, my partner can say, well, I think it would look really great. I would really like that, but I don't want that. And we can sort of disagree about what our perception or what our desires are. And then also sort of step back and go, okay, well, clearly we're not going to come to the end of this. And I'm not feeling threatened by you and you're not feeling threatened by me. We're not going to agree with this. We need to make a decision. How are we going to do that? So we can continue to problem solve because there isn't a physiological response that this is a danger cue to my nervous system. And that's the key. That's the difference is in that disagreement, I suddenly have a physiological response inside that says, this is dangerous for me to disagree with you. It really is a cue saying, I'm afraid I'm going to lose you if we disagree. And both partners could have that. And when that's the case, if you talk about whatever it is, you know, lawn furniture you're trying to pick out, will not help. (laughs) That has to be focused on first to help the relationship, redefine the relationship as secure between the two of you. Sue Johnson's phrase is EFT couples therapists don't heal relationships so much as we help couples create relationships that heal. That's the name of the game is we want to help people recognize that that's what's going on, that's making it such an intense, that There's a different feeling on the inside between, oh, yeah, we just disagree about that. We'll get two pieces you like and two pieces I like. And that feels good versus nothing we come up with feels good because there's a different physiological response going on on the inside of me. My nervous system feels threatened because this disagreement says something dangerous about my connection to my person. It's very, very clear that, you know, you're not haunted in that moment. That Sometimes we talk about it like, you know, you go, you know, we have things from our history that we can't see, don't really know are there, but they really impact things. And they're kind of in our ear whispering the story totally under our awareness that then is driving some of the physiology. And so that's very hard to peel apart versus when you're really in the present and in your adult self and just arguing about the furniture, whole <laughs> different ballgame whole different ballgame. Right. And it's not so much a conscious choice. The whole different ballgame is because I'm choosing, it's because I'm having a different experience. Exactly. So what I like about it is it's less focus on them. And we're beginning to get much more curious and interested in our own 
you know, sometimes I think of it like a stock market ticker or something like it's like all of a sudden there's a spike of something. It's like, whoa, what's that? Like it becomes, honestly, even though it can be painful, it can be kind of fun. It's like, what, you know, you start figuring out what triggers that and what, you know. Now, I think he's had an idea too, if I'm remembering correctly, about the ideal parent figure connection. Is that right or no, as far as EFT? Not for working with couples. We wouldn't necessarily bring in any ideal parent. In couples work, we wouldn't bring in any of those imagined attachment figures because we're working on it with couples and families. We're working on the relationship we have in the room and helping to redefine it. In emotionally focused individual therapy, when we have an individual, an ideal parent figure or any secure attachment figure. So this could be a person that you have known, a real person that you've known in your past that you felt security with. But sometimes people don't have those figures in their past. And so the relationship with the therapist is one source of that. Spiritual figures can be a source of that. You know, even figures of the Dalai Lama. I mean, he's a spiritual figure, but he's alive, right? Not a biblical character. So any way that we can help people access and experience of responsive, attuned engagement. Like that's what we're trying to help them have. In couple therapy, we're trying to help them have that with each other. In family therapy, we're especially trying to help children have that, teenagers, adolescents, even young adults have that with their parents. And in individual therapy, we are helping the client access that sense of attuned, responsive engagement internally. And especially around moments when they may have really missed that, when somebody missed them and they were alone and that experience comes alive in the moment. You used a word a moment ago that this is not what you said, but it's like the ghost of the past is present for me right here and now, even if I'm having a different experience. Yeah, no, I think that's really great. I mean, the fact is that we all have these ghosts and from a secure perspective, there's still a whispering in the ear, so to speak, but it's the positive, it's the secure, it's the, oh, they didn't mean that, or they're having a bad day, or it, it basically interprets things for us, but it's very powerfully shaped by our early experience and things that we carry forward that we didn't, we don't know that we're carrying, right? Right. If I was working with you as an individual and that was your response was, oh, they don't mean that, oh, they don't mean that, I would probably say, So great. I totally hear that you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And some part of you is recognizing that's not their intent. There's also this piece that was feeling hurt by whatever happened. I want to hear more about that piece. Because from my perspective as a therapist, the discomfort, the felt sense of something just went wrong, that's where the attuned, responsive, comfort, soothing is needed. So being able to cultivate, I think, the parent protocol from through three pillars is about creating an internal sense of having a resource that can respond like it's okay you're scared and that's okay and you're also safe here you're not alone because all those ghosty moments are so much worse when we're alone with them that's a huge factor is not feeling alone with our overwhelming experiences. That's the primary reason why connection is critical to humans. We don't, I think it's Jim Cohn who says the unit of human experience isn't the individual, it's the dyad. We can't exist in isolation. Sue Johnson says we're like fish out of water. 
if we don't think of ourselves in the water of relational connections. That's what we live in. That's what we need to breathe. And so when we feel an experience of being alone in a moment of distressing affect, that in and of itself makes the moment worse. So whether we've been able to internalize a sense of a comforting, safe, secure other that can be with us in those moments, or we have a relationship in our real, like, you can't have the internalized one, I don't think, unless you've had a relationship. But I might get through that moment and then go home and say, oh, this was just so terrible. And my, my skin started to crawl when this happened. And I knew it wasn't that way. But I knew I could come home and talk to you. And it was really. Yeah, no, that's great. You know, we're not talking about partners necessarily, that it's human connection, but also just a note on the side here around, this is all true for neurotypical individuals. But yes. there are plenty of people where that contact is actually doesn't do that comforting thing that there is. So they've sort of asked for us to think in terms of like getting safe, however that safety comes through that safety, then they're going to have capacity to do the interpersonal. So it's an interesting but important point about safety and connection. But I love, love, love what you're saying about this, the unit of change and where the unit of change is. And I imagine people listening might want to learn more from you at some point about EFT or resources to learn more or even therapists that practice EFT. Sure. So I'm in Atlanta and our center here in Atlanta is the Atlanta Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy or the Atlanta Center for EFT. And we offer trainings and masterclasses organized out of our center. Michael Barnett is our trainer. So he offers all the basic training in emotionally focused therapy, and he has a couple of specialty trainings. One is on addictions and EFT, and another one is on trauma and EFT. And so the EFT Center website is eftatlanta.com. My website is wiseheartfamilies.com, and I offer therapy and supervision for therapists who are learning EFT. And the best place to get international information is the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy. And their website is ICEEFT.com. And there's information about all the trainings. Pretty much every trainer who offers a training will list it on that website. There's information about Sue's books. So she wrote a book, I think it came out in 2019, called Attachment Theory in Practice. And it's a really wonderful resource for any therapist, regardless of what your modality, if you're working with couples, families, or individuals. It really describes attachment theory and then the application of it in this method that I'm talking about when we're doing emotionally focused therapy in all of those modalities. That is great. And we're going to link all of these references and books in our show notes, which you can find on our website under this particular episode for sure. So for couples, there's also on the ICEFT website, there's a list for a program called Hold Me Tight, which is the psychoeducational component of this. So couples who don't necessarily feel they're in distress enough that they want in counseling for themselves, but want to learn more about this and maybe do more, there's both an online, like sort of a videotaped version of Hold Me Tight, And then there are workshops that 
therapists are organizing and offering, right? They've been offering them online. I think they're starting, I hope, to come back to in-person workshops. And they're based on Sue's book called Hold Me Tight. That's great. So if you're listening with the ears of being in a couple or in a relationship, it's so great because it makes it so much more accessible to more people, which we care so much about. Nancy and Paul Aiken are two EFT trainers in California, and they developed an extension on the Hold Me Tight, and they call it Hold Me Tight, Let Me Go. And it's an educational program for parents and their children, adolescents. So there's a program that's actually, they've now sort of tailored it to families with adolescents, families with young adults, and then adult families, like at any age. Oh, that is so great. It's awesome. It's really awesome. <laughs> that is so great because it's not like we're finished here. <laughs> Either, you know, as daughter or as mother or as partner or. Right. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing those resources. That's yeah. really good. And you were going to do some training yourself, like uh, some study groups and things right. like that, so that people get to work with you directly. Yes. A colleague and I, Amanda Carver, she's a a certified EFT therapist here in Atlanta. And she and I are offering supervision group for therapists who have had at least an externship in emotionally focused therapy, which is sort of the beginning introductory training. It's a four-day intensive. And who want to learn polyvagal theory and how we integrate them. Like it enhances our work with couples. And we've both been kind of playing around with this for a while. And we really feel like it helps us a lot, especially with those couples you know, where it doesn't go super smoothly the first time. And it helps us with our regulation because if we're dysregulated, then Amen we're going to have that. <laughs> yeah, right? So it's a six-month group. We're going to be starting April 9th, which may, may be too late by the time this is out there for the public, but uh, we'll do it again. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, it's the, so you could get on their waiting list. Yes, absolutely. You know, you're talking about like doing the actual work versus the educational. You know, you're kind of doing the bottom up, not so much the top down. But this is a way that the podcast can contribute. And this, it sounds like this some of what you've done is that you offload the educational piece so that it doesn't interfere with the therapy and you're just doing what you do. But by referring to specific episodes of this podcast or anything else, but, you know, we do often have that in mind of trying to support people's individual work and hear about that a lot of people going back into their therapists and saying, you know, like, like things move between session, which is always so good. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And along those lines, so there's two other resources. Amanda and I are also going to offer a group for clients who are in relationships, finding your emotional balance in relationship and very polyvagal informed. So we're going to use polyvagal theory to sort of help people navigate that experience of dysregulation and re-regulation and finding safety. And of course, group psychotherapy is a wonderful place to experience a sense of safety, just like individual therapy can be. So that's something that's on the docket for us. Probably this summer, we'll start offering that. And then whether you've had or not had ISEFT training in EFT, a book study of a book by Lori Brubacher, stepping into emotionally focused therapy. So she's a trainer out of the Carolinas and she's really wonderful. She has lots of resources on her website. I don't, I'll send you the URL for that. Her name is Lori Brubacher and she wrote this wonderful book 
that is really helpful for therapists who want to learn about EFT because it's sort of like a, a newly trained therapist walking through the experience of being with couples and what that's like. So we're going to do a, a book study of people, who, whether you've been trained or you just want to learn more, we'll walk through that. That's fantastic. Wow. So this is just such a gift for you to share your wisdom with us. And again, I can imagine if folks are listening, a lot of times people listen with headphones. So it's Mm. a very personal experience. And I'm sure that people have felt as you were giving some of these examples, some of the soothing that can happen. So it was really, really wonderful to talk with you and to feel that. As far as reading groups go, I want to mention that we do have a community that we call our, you know, lovely neuro nerds, uh, our patrons that support the show. That's just been growing just wonderfully. And right now we're in the middle of a study group that I'm leading, but there's also what we call book pods happening. So if anybody is interested, if you want to learn this material more just generally, like I love that resource, this resource would be if you become a patron, you get a group of people of other patrons and you read, I think the next one we'll probably do a strange situation. They're reading right now, Body Keeps the Score. So there's many, many opportunities to both meet your colleagues and just like-minded folks. This is not for therapists only. We will always have it not be for therapists only. There's healers of all sorts. You don't have to have a degree. And also, therapists are also working on ourselves. So we're also patients. (laughs) So there's not really a distinction. So that's the way we think about it. So everybody's welcome into any of those resources. And if that interests you, you would go to patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored, and you can join us there. And for those like Camille, who has been at our higher level of support, they're called the platinum providers. We list you on the website and we put your logo and we, you know, link back to your website to just thank you and to be mutually supportive. Yeah. Your podcast has been a great resource. I have clients and fellow therapists come back to me and tell me how helpful and valuable the interviews and the information that you share are. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Appreciate your time and your support. We'll keep bringing great things, great content to you. And in the meantime, we will see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.